here in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, we read, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. By the way, that's one of the greatest proofs of the deity of Jesus. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, here in this passage, Jesus has given his disciples just before his ascension really everything that they need to know about the Great Commission, the mission to take the gospel to the nations, to make disciples, to see the ingathering of the Gentiles. Think about that first point in human history where Gentiles are going to be saved. The people who were not a people are now going to be called my people. A people who had not obtained mercy are going to obtain mercy. And the rest of the New Testament is a burgeoning of that statement. The New Testament is about God saving Jews and Gentiles, the nations. And Jesus is preparing his disciples to go out, and he tells them in very few words that all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. And he says, going, literally going, make disciples of all nations. And then he explains that, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the end of the age. When we come to the subject of baptism, we have to understand that this this doesn't this doesn't just happen in a vacuum. I think if we could transport ourselves to the first century and we could start asking questions that maybe we've never asked, what what would I think if if I heard this one who said he was the Messiah? And I'm a Jew. And my whole life I've been taught the old covenant scriptures. And now he comes and he teaches heavenly doctrine. And he explains things that maybe I've heard in part but haven't understood fully. But he comes and he he gives new directions, new instructions. You would think that the Jewish people would say, what in the world are you doing? And they don't. They do say, who in the world do you think you are? But they don't say, what in the world are you doing? And especially with something like baptism, Baptism is a sign and a seal of God's covenant of grace. It is the replacement of circumcision in the old covenant. God marked his people off with that covenantal sign, as we've already talked about in the new covenant, because the blood of Jesus is shed at the cross. There is another sign, a non-bloody sign, and this is marking off the people of God from all the nations of the world. And when Jesus sends his disciples out to baptize, as John the Baptist had been baptizing, and we're going to talk about that here in a moment, because they are different baptisms, I believe. But as they're doing these things, none of the Jewish people say, what are you doing? Turn over to John chapter 1. This was a really helpful starting point for me as a new believer in coming to understand exactly what baptism is. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, is there. He's baptizing all the people from Israel are coming out to him. They're confessing their sins. They're having a figurative um, moment, as it were, where their sins are figuratively being washed into the Jordan River. Jesus himself is going to come to John to be baptized, though he didn't need it personally. And notice, notice this in verse 24. 
Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, that is John the Baptist, why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, they don't come and say, what are you doing? They say, why are you baptizing? And that ought to strike us as strange because we ought to say, how would they even know what baptism is if they've been living in the old covenant economy? And here's John consecrating people with water and they know what he's doing and they even tie it to the old covenant messianic promises they say to john if you're not the christ nor elijah nor the prophet why are you baptizing and so they know what baptism is that becomes a starting point for us to say okay we need to be able to go back to the old testament and we need to find where baptism is in the old testament Francis Turden, he was one of the disciples of Calvin in Geneva, a really amazing theologian. He goes through church history, and he goes through eight types of baptism that he says he believes scripture teaches, theologians have talked about. And the first one is the baptism of the universal flood. Now, we talked about this briefly the first week. In 1 Peter um, 3.21, Peter says, that God saved Noah and ate with him in the ark through water. And then Peter says, we have an antitype, which now saves us baptism. So the type is the flood water. The antitype is baptism. And then Peter goes on to qualify not the removal of the filth of the flesh, not the water itself, but the answer of a good conscience to God through faith in Christ. But what Peter tells us explicitly in 1 Peter 3 is that the flood was a baptism. We talked a bit about this. How is the flood a baptism? God destroys his enemies. He washes away the filth of the earth with the floodwaters. And those who are in the ark are safe. And as it were, were saved through the water. Remember we talked about circumcision had that dual aspect to it, the cutting away. Either you get your unclean heart cut away, or you're cut off from the people of God in judgment. Either God regenerates or he judges. Baptism also, I believe, has that dual nature to it. So all those who underwent the baptism of judgment in the flood were destroyed. They were not repentant. And Noah and those with him were saved. The next one is the baptism by the sea. Uh, the Red Sea, you'll notice there in the second one, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, where the Apostle Paul says, all our fathers passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So the Apostle Paul now tells us, here's another Old Testament baptism, the Red Sea, right? And you have that dual judgment salvation motif, right? The waters part, Israel goes through on dry land. By the way, it's a picture of new creation, Echoing the language of Genesis 1, right? God separated the waters. The dry land appeared. Here at the Red Sea, the waters are separated. The dry land appears. And God brings his people through as a new creation. Um, We'll talk about baptism and new creation along the way here. But but as as the Egyptians go through, God then what? Washes away the filth. He washes away the enemies his enemies, and his church's enemies. Now, our our enemy is our sin, 
which is what baptism is going to point to. That's what we need washed away. And baptism in the New Testament is going to point to the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin because he takes the judgment. He's baptized on the cross. We're going to talk about that. But we have to get that the flood is baptism and we have to get that the Red Sea is baptism if we're going to properly understand what baptism is. Now, there is another baptism in the Old Testament. And I think when um, the Jews who were sent by the Pharisees come to John and they say, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophets? They're alluding to this. I'm not sure they understood that the flood was baptism, as Peter tells us, or the Red Sea was baptism, as Paul tells us, under inspiration of the Spirit. But I do think that they knew that in the Old Covenant law, there were prescriptions, especially with the priesthood, for various ceremonial washings, both of utensils and of those who served in the house of God, in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And we know this because in Hebrews 9.10, and here Turden talks about the legal baptism by which the unclean wash themselves in their garments according to the Mosaic law. Um, I think broader than that, even the utensils in the, in the tabernacle and in the temple had to be, they had to be washed by the priest. And the writer of Hebrews, whoever he may have been, I think it was Luke, um, he actually uses the word baptizo, a form of the word for baptism, here in this verse, even though our English translations don't. So somebody read Hebrews 9.10 for us. To deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body, imposed until the time of resurrection. So that word for washings, various washings, is various baptisms. And the context, again, is the temple and the tabernacle. And so in the Old Covenant law, God had already built into um, his, uh, what we might say, cultic prescriptions, a, a baptism, a consecration. Things need to be cleansed. That's the point, right? Just like the earth needed to be cleansed in the day of Noah, and just like Israel needed to be cleansed of their enemies in, in the Red Sea, um, so the utensils and the priest uh, needed to be consecrated, set apart, uh, ceremonially purified. Um, and that's what baptism is. That's what it, that's, that's its roots. So that's where we start if we're going to get into the New Testament. Now, the fourth baptism that Turden talks about, and here's where maybe I'd like us to just think a little bit about a distinction between John the baptizer and Jesus the Messiah. A lot of people relate those two baptisms and and they say they're the same baptism. I don't think they are. I think they're very similar, but they have different purposes. So as Turden notes, the baptism of John introducing the baptized to repentance alone, not Holy Spiritual, and he will appeal to John 1, 25 and 26, where John says, I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's the salvation judgment aspect of, of what Christ is doing. What is John's baptism then? Well, it's a baptism of repentance for Israel. So remember, when, when John comes and he starts his ministry, John is beginning Jesus's ministry. He is making the way for the Lord. Right? He is the greatest man who ever lived, Jesus said, because he was the one who stood in the flesh and 
personally pointed at the Redeemer and said, this is the Lamb of God. All the other prophets had said that from a distance. John stands there in the flesh and says, this is the Lamb of God. And he's preparing the way for Jesus's ministry. But Israel is so far from God at this point. Remember, this is the dark period in Israel's history. This is why you have so much demon possession in Israel in the days of Christ. Israel is apostate functionally. Um, they, they are very far from God at the fullness of time. And so John, a big part of John's ministry is to call the nation to repentance and to turn back to the Lord and to prepare them for the coming of the Redeemer. John is essentially saying, this is the time we've been waiting for. Turn back to the Lord and be prepared to listen to the Lamb of God. And part of the ministry that God gave John was that ministry of baptism. Now, remember, John will um, have the people come to him in the Jordan and he will pour the water over them and, as it were, wash their sins figuratively into the waters. And there's this beautiful picture where Uh, Jeffrey Thomas, he's a British minister, says, I like to think of that line of sinners coming to John. He said, there's a murderer, there's an adulterer, there's a thief, there's Jesus, there's a swindler, there's a liar, but there's Jesus standing in that line coming to John. And and then Sinclair Ferguson says this, it's one of the most beautiful thoughts um, I've ever read. He says, when Jesus comes to be baptized, and, and there's... A distinction here, we'll talk about Jesus' baptism in a minute, but it's as if John is taking that filthy water and pouring it over the Savior. He's going to be the sin bearer. The filth that's been washed into the river symbolically is being poured on Jesus because he's going to take the sin. Um, That's one big reason why Jesus is being baptized. He's representing himself. He's representing us. He's associating himself with sinners. Right. Remember that phrase in Isaiah 53, he was numbered with the transgressors who needs to be baptized. Sinners. John Gerstner has this great thought. He was doing a a baptism once and uh, the mother said, well, should we bring a, a white. A white gown for the baby? And he said, why would you do that? She said, well, to represent the baby's. Innocence, And he said, then why are we baptizing the baby? <laughs> Babies are not innocent. We're not innocent. <laughs> baptism says I'm not innocent. Um, Jesus undergoes baptism and he was innocent. So the transition from the old to the new covenant really happens at John's baptism. This is a really cool thought, by the way. What tribe was John from? Levi, right? He should have been a priest. His dad was a priest. His grandfather, his great-grandfather. And what tribe is Jesus from? What tribe? Judah, Judah, of which nothing was spoken about the priesthood. But he's our great high priest. I think there's a transfer of the priesthood happening from Levi to Judah in the baptism of Jesus. He's being anointed. I think that his baptism, when the Spirit comes down um, on him, he's being anointed as the Messiah, the prophet, priest, and king. And he's beginning the messianic ministry. So he's both representing and identifying himself with those he's going to die for. And he's beginning that ministry and being set apart for it. Um, Really beautiful, 
picture of a full orbed understanding of what's happening in Jesus's baptism. But then you have, as Turden points out, number five, the holy spiritual baptism, not holy, H-O-L-Y, but holy, complete spiritual baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, either by which he needed not needing baptism, was himself baptized for our sake by John or by which he baptizes us with water and with the spirit. Now, Jesus gave that explicit command, go into all the world, going, baptize, make disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded you. Um, and, And then baptism becomes a fixture in the new covenant church. And it becomes the sign and the seal of the new covenant. So it sort of comes from the Old Testament, moving through all these different epochs till Jesus comes. And then he takes it and turns it into something new. And it becomes the mark of initiation into the church. And it becomes the representative sign and seal of his blood and the outpouring of the spirit the regenerating work of the Spirit, all of those things, right? Um, when we, we read about baptism in the book of Acts, um, it's almost always associated with the outpouring of the Spirit. There's that close connection. Not that the Spirit is given every time someone's baptized. Don't hear me saying that. But there's that close identity between what the sign points to and the reality of it. Um the washing away of the sins of God's people. Now, obviously, we want to look beyond the sign to what it points to, right? What I need more than anything is not just water. I need a clean heart. I need to be washed, right? I need the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so the spirit baptism that Jesus brings is what all of that was always pointing to. Now, there are three more here that Turden talks about, and I kind of want to move through these um, cautiously because I'm not entirely sure I agree. But Gregory of Nazianzus, he was an early church father, one of the Cappadocian, who helped formulate the doctrine of the Trinity for the church. So one of the great theologians of the early church. And he talked about the painful baptism of penitence and tears. You know, David talks about wetting his bed with tears. The early church fathers, now I'm not sure I fully agree with this, but they would talk about repentance and brokenness as a form of baptism, a purifying act, as it were. Not that it adds to the work of Jesus, but in an application of our faith in Christ, um, brokenness and weeping over our, our sins, The next one that Turden talks about is the baptism of blood and of martyrdom. Now, I do think this is taught squarely in scripture. Uh, Where would we go to prove the baptism of blood and martyrdom? In Mark, Jesus says to his disciples as he's going to the cross, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. Now, he had already been baptized. So that should seem strange that late in his ministry, Jesus is speaking of another baptism he has to undergo. What What is that baptism? The cross, right? He has to be destroyed in the floodwaters of God's wrath. He has to be consumed in the fire of God's wrath. He has to be cut off. The sins of all God's people are put on him, and they have to be washed away in his bloody death. 
Just like his death was circumcision, his death is baptism. He is baptized under the wrath of God. Um, Just like those in Noah's day, just like the Egyptians were destroyed by those judgment baptisms, Jesus is destroyed on the cross, so we're not. So when Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, he's talking about He's talking about his death, his atoning death. But remember when James and John come to Jesus and they say, Lord, we want you to do for us. Well, actually, they put their mom up to it. (laughs) We want you to do for us whatever we ask. I always think about how brazen the disciples were. (laughs) Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. And he says, what do you want me to do? And they say, we want to sit one on your right, the other on your left in glory. Forget about these guys. Forget about the nations. Forget about the mission that you, you're preparing us for. Forget about the, the cross. We want to sit in glory at the head of the table. <laughs> and, um, and Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. It's not mine to give. And then he says, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? That's the cross. And can you be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? That's also the cross. So there Jesus is linking his death on the cross to baptism. And then they say, and I take a lot of comfort in the things that the disciples say. They said, yeah, we're able. (laughs) We're able. They don't even know what they're talking about. And he said, you will drink the cup I'm about to drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with. And I don't think he's saying, you'll just be partakers of my redemption. I think he's saying, you're going to, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for my sake. And so there is a sense where the suffering of the saints is a baptism. Their blood and their martyrdom. Um, now, the last one that Turden points out, and this one I had to think about, and Thinking about hell is never an enjoyable subject. Um, It's necessary, but it's terrible to think about. And uh, Turden says, the not saving, there is a not saving, but deadly baptism of eternal punishment by which sinners are plunged into the lake of fire. And that was, it's a terrible thought. It's true. Um, But there, there's no salvation side. There's just judgment, a baptism of judgment. Now, what I wanted to do in giving you that is not try to argue for every single thing out of there. You may not agree with all that, and that's fine. But I wanted to give us sort of a a quick overview of what Scripture teaches about baptism before we ever get into who should be baptized, how should it be done. We will get into that. 